I'm going to wear shorts, but I'm definitely wearing sunscreen this time. I have that a was lot of sunscreen terrible. if you need it. I was sunburned for like a week straight. It was Yeah, awful. it was bad. I watched it happen. I was like, you know, uh, you may want to put some... No, no, no. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Faith Podcast for May 2023. I'm your host, Jonathan Butrin, and I'm joined once again by the Paris to my France, Tim Nelson. Tim, it's hey, great John. to have you back. I'm the Paris to your France. <laughs> yes, you are. Take that however you want. I'll take it as that I'm cultured and that I... Uh, yes. I'm always on strike. Exactly. I'm never working. <laughs> But I know how to have a good time, and I like art. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you just, of course, got back from Paris, France, because I have to give you a hard time. And I am sorry for the last episode. I feel like we grilled you pretty good about your vacation. But What you did was you did a Fox News tactic on me, where I wasn't there, and you just talked trash about me. <laughs> You're like, that's oh. exactly And then it. you had a wingman that's like, oh, that's right. <laughs> just agreeing with everything I'm saying. I you know. built up a straw man of me. And then you knocked it down in front of the listeners. Thanks a lot, John. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you, Dan. He was like your Ed McMahon. He was. <laughs> like, yes, That's Johnny. right. That's right. <laughs> yes. I know. Thanks I was listening lot, to him back Baker. in the editing booth, and I was like, oh, that sounds so mean. I loved him. It's all right. I get it. I get it. You and Ed have got to make fun of me while I'm gone. I get it. You it's know, kind of a right. rite of passage. But I'm excited that you got to go on that trip. What Do you have any like, quick highlight? What was your trip like? We're excited to it hear about it. It was all over. We did uh, three days in Paris, and then we're in, in Lyon. The highlight of the trip was, I think I liked it. They saw a lot of Roman ruins, and that was pretty cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I dig that. And then uh, got to eat at a Michelin Guide restaurant. It wasn't like a high-end one, but it was perfect. It was super mellow. I walked in at like 11 a.m. I didn't know what it was, and then I found out later what I had been eating at. And the guy was putting on his Converse, like the waiter. He's like putting on his All-Stars, like lacing them up, and he looked like he just got out of bed. And I'm like, oh, yeah, what's lunch like? And he's like, I don't know if I have a table. And then he like cleared out this table so we could be there. Nice. And it was like some of the best food I've had in a long time. Oh, I so love it. That, was pretty, a good that was pretty fun. Yeah. And it's just beautiful out there. So I think probably seeing all those ruins, good food and getting to see new places. That was awesome. Awesome. Well, we missed you, but I'm very grateful for Dan. He filled in again for us and he had such a great show for us with the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Like just the way that he brought his unique story to everything like i thought it was a really good show so thank you dan baker for filling in for tim you did great that was like perfect i was thinking about this i was like man dan knows like so much about dungeons and dragons he has like family connections in some kind of strange way he has geographic connections his dad is dumpster diving for the pieces and changing their names i don't know all the but that's what i've heard on the podcast so that's (laughs) what what i heard right so i mean i don't have any kind of tradition like dumpster diving for old D &D pieces i mean that's pretty impressive it was one of those shows where it was like as much as our dynamic is great like it did just it wouldn't have been the same like what he brought to the table was just perfect so it was cool it was totally enlightening to me and i was like I texted both of you guys. I was like, hey, this is a great podcast. This is awesome. Heck yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Dan, for bringing us uh, some new knowledge. And yeah, I'm glad it worked out. Yes, absolutely. But it's great to have you back, Tim. And it's been a minute since we podcasted. I actually looked back because I was like, it feels like it's been a while. And it has because we have not podcasted since January of this year. And that was on Babylon. And then we took a break for the Oscars. And then that extended into another month because I had to wrap some other stuff up. And then it was Dan and now it's you. So yeah, it's been since January, which is crazy. I avoided the awards season and I avoided... The loud, you have a lousy movie, but you got to release it sometime. Season, I know that like like March, April release. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like it's the link later release time. (laughs) Uh You're like, you got kind of a okay movie that's uh, you know, your pet project that you made a deal for, and you got to release it. March, April. <laughs> yep. We were going to release it in December, but we found out it sucked. So now it's going to be March. Yeah, exactly. You're like, yeah, it wasn't going to be considered. So now you got to release it in this weird time frame where nobody's going to the movies. Right. It's so great. this is yeah. a good time. You, you picked a good time to, to rejoin us and it's 2023 all the way out, man. I'm so excited. So yeah, we have got a brand new movie to talk about. But before we get to that, 
we got to do what have we been watching because i'm assuming Ooh. on one of these long flights you must have caught something interesting what have you been oh, watching it's been a lately, while. Tim? okay so in this week i've been watching mrs Maisel. oh yeah what season are you on i think three but there's five if i'm yeah. correct you're about where i am we we went through three i think yeah Usually, Amy Sherman Palladino, I can only take so much of it one time. <laughs> the writing's really thick. The dialogue is... And then sometimes the characters sound like characters. They're like, hey, now you're on the trolley. Hey. <laughs> That's you're true. Like, Stop talking that way. <laughs> it's kind of... It's a little overproduced sometimes in every category, but yeah. Yeah. I think her dialogue's interesting and witty, but I don't think it's like authentic dialogue. I don't think anyone talks that way. Maybe. Maybe they do. I don't know. Yeah. And sometimes when she's doing stand-up, what she's saying isn't that funny, but they're treating it as if it's like comic gold, you know? I don't know. Oh, in the show. In yeah. the show. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's hard because like if they could write those jokes, wouldn't they not be doing this show? They'd be writing <laughs> jokes. Wouldn't they be writing professional stand-up? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's it's some of it comes off as snarky rather than witty. Mm-hmm. But anyway. But it's a good it's show. An interesting show. It's, yeah, it's interesting. And it's, yeah. Just all, overall pretty fun show. So I've been watching that because my wife, she's been watching it. She really likes it. And she's it's a show that we can watch together. Awesome. Um, I've been canceling subscriptions. I canceled Peacock. No, I haven't canceled it. I'm going to because you know what's on Peacock. What's that? Cocaine Bear. Oh my gosh, dude. I know. I'm so excited. That's like top of our list. I'm visiting Tim in Kansas City in a couple weeks and like we are going to have a cocaine bear night. I actually have friends. This is true. I have friends that have come up to me that want to talk to me about it and I've been like, nope, I'm saving it for my friend. I'm saving it and they want to talk to me about it. Don't even talk to me about this. I know. Yeah, so I know it'd probably be cheaper to just cancel Peacock and then rent Cocaine Bear, but right. I'm like, I already have Peacock, I'll cancel after. Dude, I'm totally with you on canceling subscriptions, though. Like, um, I think everyone's starting to feel it, you know, in the wallet, and it's so you start looking at everything that's coming out every month, and you're just, I've been doing the same thing. It's just like, why do I have this? This is getting ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's like the post-COVID, we're like a submarine that's like, you know, <laughs> finally came up to the surface. We're like... <sighs> Uh, no more of these subscriptions. Yep. All right. Well, Tim, I've been watching three shows. Three. Normally, I only watch two, but like the two that I really wait, wanted to watch. Have, wait a sec. Wait a sec. Wait a sec. Yeah. You have rules for the sh- how many shows you watch? I do. Really? <laughs> I do. I mean, like technically, I'm actually watching five because I'm also, like I mentioned in the last podcast, I'm watching Succession and Yellow Jackets as they come out every week. But the shows that I'm binging in my own time, yes. it's three because the two that I really wanted to watch were only half hour each. So I'm like, oh, that's mm. only an hour. That's not enough time. And so I needed another one to balance it out. So the first one is The Golden Compass. It's actually called His Dark Materials. Do you know Philip Pullman's trilogy, the His Dark Materials? It's With like polar bears and wearing yeah, yeah, armor yeah, and the, stuff. The armored bears, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I haven't seen him. I was just kind of like, nah. <laughs> dude. I love the Golden Compass. is one of my favorite novels of all time. Probably is my favorite book of all time. I read it as okay. a kid. It blew my mind. I've read it at least five or six times, and it's just like such a great book. And so that's why I've been meaning to watch it because like I wanted to see, and it's HBO, you know, but. I don't know. It's okay. It's it's a firmly in solid B plus territory. What's bothering me is that so like in the world, every character has their has something called a demon. It's not. It's actually spelled D A E M O N. Anyway, it's basically like your soul in animal form, like a personification of your soul. And so you like have this part of you that you talk to, and that's your demon. And so anyway, oh, that's wholesome. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I don't know why you talk to your inner demon. Okay, yeah. all right, keep going, Philip. Pullman is a hardcore atheist, so I'm wondering yeah, if he chose that language very deliberately. That's not even atheism. That's like a Satanism. Uh, anyway. start our own satanic panic like Dan talked if about. You, if you get rid of that word, it's actually a beautiful concept. It's like you have your, your, your soul that you just sort of is like always, you know, hanging around and you talk to him. Anyway, so the problem is, is that you have to CGI that stuff and it just doesn't look convincing because for whatever reason, we have not reached in 2023 the ability to make animals talking look convincing. It just, our brain cannot make that seem real and so every time one of these little animals talks it's just like looks so fake now i'm gonna i'm gonna bring up something to you now Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm having fun today there is no such thing as animals talking so how can it look fake 
I know. And that's probably <laughs> what these these poor CGI artists would say. It's like, what are you comparing it to? But You're like, like oh, when I've seen Animal Chuck for real, I'm like, dang, man, who are you hanging but with? There's you just were- something about the way their mouth moves that looks so weird. I don't. And maybe you're right. Maybe it's just permanently going to be that way. Because... Do you wonder? Maybe these animals aren't really talking. <laughs> not really talking. That's fake. I don't know. It just doesn't look convincing to me, and it's dragging down the show because it's a very significant part of it. Because every single one of these characters has one of them, and so uh, it's bothering me. So is it their? It's not their voices. It's how they're. It's their it's, lips. It's how they look. It's just they look cartoonish. And like I when want sharks are look- trying to say. Super califragilistic. It doesn't yeah. quite work for you. It doesn't no. work. For okay, me. it's not the only thing wrong with this show, but like that's really it's bothering me. So it's still a B plus, still worth watching. But the other two I'm watching, I would highly recommend. The first one is called The Bear, and that is on FX. And check this premise out. So you got this fancy cook right who's like uh at the top tier of new york cookery like he's basically at the best restaurant in the world and his brother owns this like grimy beef shop in uh in chicago like or like not a shop but <laughs> like you imagine you imagine like uh you know in chicago when it just says like beef on the sign and you go in yeah. and get beef on bread or whatever so his brother owns that and he dies and he wills this restaurant to this like hardcore like award-winning chef and so he comes down to chicago and takes over this restaurant and it's filled with people that have worked there for like you know 15 years or whatever and they got their way of doing things and he's trying to like work it out and he's also grieving his brother's loss in the process it's a brilliant show really good lots of good food action and it's just it's great so check out the bear it's awesome that's on fx Mm, the bear the bear his nickname is bear so that's why it's called that it's a weird title but then the final show i'm watching is called extraordinary that is on hulu and that is so we're all sick of superhero stuff right um but this finds a way to make superhero stuff compelling again so basically the premise is that every person has some random superpower like random like it could be a normal one like ability to turn invisible or like super strength but then there's like all these other just random ones that they make up like this is going to be crass to some people brace yourself but like the one one poor guy has has the ability to every time you touch him he can make you have an orgasm all right so like and don't worry it's not porn they're not showing it it's not pornographic but like that so that's his his his, his there's ability. so many jokes that i want to make right now and i know that we're the nature of our podcast we're trying to keep it above board here right what's his name it's not tim nelson is it <laughs> Oh my gosh! There it I'm is. Sorry, I'm sorry. Boom. I just, hey yo, you, the way you set that up, it's like I'm funnier than Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> so hey, he, I need an agent. But he's like this dorky kid, and he hates that he has this ability because all these women are coming to him for the wrong reasons, and he wants to you know do it the natural way and not like cheat and like he just is. So anyway, so if you imagine something but that's like an that, interesting or, premise. It's like right. he has this power to like. Yeah, it but makes he's ashamed sense. of it. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so everyone has something random ability, but the main character does not have an ability. That's like the the big spin. And so she she doesn't know if it's going to happen at some point, if she just hasn't discovered it, but everyone around her has something and she doesn't. And it's really clever and funny. And the episodes, like the pacing, just like fly by. And so, yes, extraordinary. So those are my shows. See, Tim, look at all these great premises that are out there, right? Like yeah. there is good stories just being told in all these shows which is why segue it makes me so frustrated that we're constantly going back to the well of marvel and star wars and the same old universes when there are unique stories that have yet to be told and there are writers out there that are telling them it's like it's just driving me nuts that like we are still stuck on the 50th marvel movie but here we are ready to talk about one (laughs) today (laughs) because Guardians of the Galaxy. And we both have a special connection with Guardians, right? It's true. Like, I've talked about it before, how much I love the original one. Blew me away. And it's actually what's so funny is that Guardians, the first Guardians came out when I was 
like kind of growing tired of that like first round of Marvel movies like and then all of a sudden this breath of fresh air comes out and it was just different and fun and interesting and the music and everything so that's why I fell in love with it and you also you said that was one of your favorites too right yeah I think it's my favorite series of the Marvel is is the Guardian series I think two and I really like two like two is very is quite excellent one is good too now, I remember we were divided on this because like, I actually had forgotten that we podcasted on part two. We did not do anything not on part on one. one, but part two uh-huh. we did. And I remember, and I, and I was looking at the caption and it said that we were divided. And I remember it's because I didn't love it, but you really liked part two. Yeah, I did. I think it has a better soundtrack. I feel like Gunn leaned into the characters more. So he's like, okay, well, I had a successful first one, so I can do what I want on this one. Like, there's no, like, we're going to switch directors out on you, or we don't like Ed Norton as, uh, you know, the Hulk, so we'll switch you around. No, like, they're going to, like, he was he was kind of solidified at that point in the franchise. He's like, okay, go for it. Sure. And now he's back, and he's wrapping up the whole thing, because Volume 3 is supposedly the last one in the series that James Gunn is going to do. So here we are. We're going to wrap up these stories of these characters. So it was too impossible to resist coming back to the Marvel Universe for Guardians. This is a special place in both our hearts. So we did it. We're, we, we've seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and we are here to talk about it. How was your theater experience, Tim? You texted me. You saw this last night with your so daughter. Last night with my daughter, who loves Guardians. Like She just mm. loves it. So I go there. Okay, this is, are you ready for my old man complaining? I'm so ready. Okay, perfect. This may, uh, so I get there and I'm trying to get to like the earliest one I can because I don't want my kid to like be a grump. And she was still a grump this morning. So we get there and it's 630. So I know it's going to start at seven. And then they said, well, if you want to see this show, you have to see it in 3D and you have to pay the, there's certain theaters have like a, an upcharge on them. Do you know about this? Oh, an insane upcharge. It's ridiculous. Yes, of course. So I go in and I pay a kid's ticket and adult ticket and I'm $42 into this movie already. Oh, that hurts. That'll Isn't do that it. Cr- that's insanity. It's crazy. It's highway route. I mean, it's really bad. Who can afford that? That's crazy. I was like, I thought I was going to get out of there for like $22. Mm-hmm. No. Not even talking about popcorn or candy yet. We're it's a freaking tickets. Tuesday night. Now, I know AMC has some Tuesday night deals. They've got two weird popcorn lines. Like, if you're a Stubbs member, you can go in like the quick line, but the people aren't watching the lines who are. You've seen, you've done this. You know what I'm talking about, uh, don't just, you? I just think it's fascinating, the Stubbs group. I love it. So it's like they've got like the uh, sky priority lines. Like, if you're like <laughs> flying internet, it's like first class and everyone else. So we're watching as like these people who have paid extra money to like not wait in a popcorn line, right. get preferential like, treatment. And I'm like, oh my gosh, why are we creating like so many tiers of, uh, I mean, I just yeah. paid $42 for a movie and I've got to like let somebody go in front of me in the popcorn line. Because they're VIP. Yeah, exactly. What does that even mean? I don't like, know. I don't get Ridiculous. it. And I don't even I don't even want it. I just want everyone to be in one line and not like uh, yeah. nobody nobody needs special popcorn treatment. No. Anyway, so I always think of the movies as being a democratizing, like egalitarian thing because you're all together and you interact with each other in a film. But this is like turning it into this like tiered experience. I hate that. Don't like it at right. all. Right. So yeah. now it's like there's no cheap tickets, so people can't get in. And now they've like made it like have a first class line and like and then I also like it where you had to go get your I liked this. I'm sure you didn't. But in the old days where you couldn't pick out your seats. Oh, you liked it better when you couldn't pick it out. Yeah. You had to get there early and it was first it was Southwest. I hate that. <laughs> I hated that, man. Like, I, because they would always get stuck in the front or I'd get stuck behind some tall person or whatever. This was even back then. It would be before stadium seating. So if, like, you pick the wrong seat, you're just done for those two hours. Like, it's pointless. But that's, like, part of the that's part of the deal, though. Like, that, like to me, that was... I, I know people like the picking out the seat part. Or now it's, like, if you don't... You can see online what's available. And then you're like, well, I don't want to sit in these seats, so I'm not going to go to this film. That's yeah. I pick my showtime based on that, right? Exactly. So there's got to be seats that no one ever sits in, except except on like the release date, right? I don't know. I'm always like perplexed why how people choose seats because I'll walk into a theater and there's someone way over in the left corner. I'm just like, why did you pick that seat? I don't understand your logic. I don't get it. I don't. They just do it. I don't know. So anyway, my daughter and I are waiting as some teenagers like you're vip mister <laughs> like and i'm like but that guy was way behind us you know and then so we get up there and i'm like you can have a candy or a popcorn and i said you could we could do the kids combo but the kids combo which you've had before right love the kids combo that's the cheat and it comes with a water now 
Oh no! <laughs> you have to pay extra for soda. You it does. You don't have the soda option on a kids combo. They can't. They you have to have water. She's like, Mom, take me to the movies and buy me water. Oh my <laughs> goodness! On. What kid wants to drink bottled water? Come on. That's terrible. I had no idea. I mean, that's like a deal breaker. Yeah, I know. That's what I was saying. So anyway, that's my complaints. Now, so we get there. I pay eight dollars for an icy. Eight dollars for an icy, right? Okay, whatever. It's the best icy I've ever had in my life. Oh, nice. like it was so good. Probably because I haven't had like sugar beverages in like years. But it was the best icy I ever had. And I was like, AMC did this right. This is the best one. I was. It was so good that I was like, I wonder if I could fake that I was getting a free refill. <laughs> But I didn't. I didn't need that much icy. So anyway, I had a expensive experience, but I had the best icy of my life, and my daughter and I had a great time. Awesome, daddy daughter date with the best icy ever, with some minor complaints. Yeah. Love it. Not so bad. How was your theater experience? It's pretty rough, man. All right, so I saw this on Mother's <laughs> Day, and but without my wife because her one desire was to have a day by herself, which only parents understand this, right? Like I've talked it's to true. non-parents who are like, wait, why would you not want to be with your kids? But you talk to parents, they're like, oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, what are all these people with no kids all judging? Judge <laughs> I know. Like, what so kind judgy. of father are you? You don't want to be around your kids every single moment of every single day of the rest of your life? I know. <laughs> I know. It's ridiculous. So, look, we still had, for all you judgy judgersons out there, we still had a wonderful morning. I just judged I made, every single person. I judged <laughs> them for judging. Just because exactly. you're single. <laughs> so, I had we had a great morning. I made breakfast. We had a beautiful time. We gave her presents, blah, blah, blah. But Aww. then she just wanted the afternoon free. Cannot blame her. So... Took the kids to go see this movie, and I do not like taking my kids anywhere alone, let alone yes. a theater, because Indeed. it's just awful. Like, so I still have youngish kids. Like, my youngest is nine, and mm -hmm. then, you know, and so their coordination's a little off. So, like, they're always like, I don't think I can carry this. So, I'm like, you know, got the bucket of popcorn in my left hand and the nachos in my right hand, and we're struggling. And then you got to go to the fountain machine and get, like, the... All those freaking options. I don't know if AMC has that, but you know, at Marcus, they have the thing where it's like, do you want oh. vanilla Dr. Pepper, cherry Dr. It's like, come on. It's do like, your kids go, go back, go back, go up. back. Yeah. No, down. <laughs> You're like, Apricot why can't Dr. you Pepper? operate this? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. So then we Come got on. drinks on top of everything else. We finally get in our seat. My son, my middle son has um, eyesight problems, so he's stumbling up these stairs, half running into people. We finally sit down. I realize I've left the nachos at the fountain station. I have to run oh, back Lord. out. Go get That's those. That's like $50 right there, John. It, oh, so bad. I know. So then we finally... I justify it because we hardly ever go to a movie theater as a family. So it's like when right. we go like twice a year, I'm like, we're going to do this right. So we finally get down and sit down in the chair and you think, that's it. We're finally going to enjoy this movie. Well, halfway through the movie, of course, one of my kids has to go to the bathroom. And yeah. so I missed at least four or five minutes of this film. Probably the best part, I'm assuming. And... So it's a bummer. And then when they so, unmask Quill and tell us who he really is. Yeah, you oh, missed no. it. Sorry. Shoot. Yeah. So then we finally get back. And then three fourths of the way through the movie, my son, who's not used to eating lots of sugary candy and greasy popcorn, announces that he feels like he's going to throw up. And that <laughs> was a very fun thing to hear. So I'm ready my popcorn bucket. And then he's like, oh, I think I just needed to burp. It's okay. So thankfully, we avoided that crisis. But yeah, <sighs> it wasn't great? the best theater experience. I'll be totally honest with you. What but theater were you at? That was at my favorite, Majestic. We were, Yeah, you know, I like that theater. Yeah. <sighs> so anyway, you're welcome, Emily. That was my Mother's Day sacrifice. So That's good. Yeah. You're, a hot, you're a good man. <laughs> I'm sure it's appreciated. So there you go. That's our theater experience. Now it's time to talk about the movie itself. Let's right. discuss the plot briefly. We don't have to go. Look, I mean, this is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We're not taking you back to the beginning here. You're either in this thing or you're not. So you understand these characters. But this time out, on this final outing, the movie really is about Rocket. That's what this movie is about. We find out finally some more about his backstory that we've not had been privy to yet. And then we also, there's a crisis that happens with Rocket in real time. So that's kind of what this final outing is about. And it's the last one. It's the last time these characters are out doing their mission and it's all about Rocket. So that's kind of your brief plot synopsis since we don't have to get super granular. So do you think it's fair to say the first two movies are about Quill? 
and this movie was not about Quill. I think that's right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because the it's second one's all about his dad and all that stuff. Right. Yep. It was quite a pivot there. Yeah. Which, I don't know. Should the third one have been about Quill 2 to keep consistency? I don't know. I like the Rockets angle. I think it was good. But I don't know. We'll get to that shortly. Tim, let's talk about some acting. I feel like in the second one, we've already... I don't, and I don't remember. I don't go back and listen to our shows because that would be t- horrifying. But if I'm pretty sure that we've probably Wait, so went, you edit them and then don't listen to them? No, I edit them for weeks. I listen to it 150 times and then I never, ever want to listen to it again as long as I live. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with yeah. you. Anyway, so I feel like in the second podcast, we must have gone down the line and talked about Chris Pratt's career in film and blah, blah, blah. So we're not going to do that. We're just going to take, since this is the final movie in the series, let's just sort of talk about the actors as they relate to sort of their characters as a whole. I like to say, so in, over the course of the three movies, how do we feel about what they brought to this character? Since this is the final time we'll be talking well, about Well, that's a it. nice so, way to talk about it. I like it. Yeah. So Chris Pratt as Peter Quill, Star-Lord. You know, I feel like we forget that Chris Pratt sort of became a movie star with Guardians, I feel like, because Mm -hmm. he really got his start playing a dorky sort of chubby dude on Parks and Rec. Like, that's who Chris Pratt was. And then all of a sudden, in the first Guardians, there he is, like, all muscled up, and we believed it. I feel like we, like, he brought the right amount of charm and charisma that you need to carry a movie. And that was like the first time that I saw Chris Pratt as like a legit movie star. And I think that really launched his career. So yeah. And Jurassic. And Jurassic Park, of course. Right. Yes. Which, you know, I personally never think about because I think those movies are trash. But yes, he did. It's okay. I know about that. I hate them all. I'm sure. (laughs) Just add so, some more yeah. motorcycles and it'll be better. More motorcycles. <laughs> more dinosaurs. More, more raptors and more motorcycles and make the big dinosaur bigger. <laughs> That's kind of exactly what awful, they did. Awful. Yeah, I know. So Chris Pratt, you like him, right? You think he I, I mean, who else could play this character? Uh probably quite a few people. But I think he I think <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tim. So I think what we bring what he brought into it is we get to know a character on the office, right? Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. I'm so sorry. That's yeah. It. So his character in Parks and Rec is like goofy, a little aloof, not real smart, but really like a positive guy. Right. So he's kind of like this, like, yeah. And, and very likable. And so I think we brought all that baggage to Quill of the ca- the Parks and Rec character. And so as, and when he brings that in, like we kind of give him the benefit of the doubt immediately. And then he, beca- and then he's like badass. So we're like, Whoa, a regular guy could be badass. So, so I think he brought a lot of that baggage with him. It's hard. And for me, cause that show is so popular, it's hard to kind of overstate how much that character lent to Quill. And I think Quill has parts of that in him, which is like, he doesn't, he's kind of goofy. He doesn't necessarily know what he's talking about. Those kind of things. I love that. Right. Because he has a very cocky, full of himself attitude in the movies but he also has that dorky side that bounces out because mm-hmm. if he didn't have that it would just be obnoxious and so like you're right and i don't know if i really do think that's true that like part of it is us bringing parks and rec into it because it is there in the movies but i feel like we sort of like you said it's the foundation is already there from the start so we don't like hate him from the jump when he's like being a cocky douchebag right i mean i think yeah and i think he got cast into that because like you're, you know somebody so, some casting director saw chris pratt and was like wow if we put this guy in the weight room for six months we got like the best you know this is our quill yes yeah they're like oh yeah this is these are the qualities we want kind of a dorky but also Mm self-assured yeah and dan and i talked about chris pine in our dungeons and dragons podcast and i think there's some similarities there like both of them when they are at their peak like can really carry a movie just based on being fun and charismatic and you just are on their page like the whole two hours i do think chris pine's like a slightly better actor but like both of them i think there's some similarities there now could chris pine have played this role i don't think so because i don't think he's dorky enough for it that's what chris pratt brings to it right yeah i think there's something where you have to have somebody that has self-doubt yeah uh, there has to be like a kind of a vulnerability to it where they're like okay i'm proficient at what i do but i also like have some kind of deep self-doubt, which he has because of his, the character does. And so you have to have somebody that can kind of pull that off, like kind of a geek, but also like a, somebody who's kind of was, maybe was a geek and grew into a superhero. It's kind of what 
what happened here. Yep. I mean, from the for the actor. And then there's Zoe Saldana who plays Gamora because, like you know, I think you need her to counteract Quill because they're they they have a nice dance and they've had it from the beginning in the first movie where like he'll come up with some outrageous scenario she'll immediately say that's stupid and then sometimes his crazy scenario actually ends up working out and then but she's just got this like energy and drive that I think really like. I don't know. She she keeps him in check. I think their like dynamic together has been really good throughout the three. Yeah. So like, but how different? I mean, she's she's clearly more powerful than he is from like a yes. superhero standpoint, right? <laughs> For sure. I mean, I don't think she's that much different from April from Parks and Rec. So she's like more mm. powerful, better looking, more by the book, and doesn't want to do weird shortcuts. More ethical in some ways, depending yep. on what part when you see that character. Yeah, and like more experience. She has like more of everything than he does, but somehow he's able to like get the girl, right? Yeah. And then she shows up in the I actually had totally forgotten whether or not she had died or not because I cannot keep track of it, Tim. It's so exhausting. So I like she wasn't in the beginning and I was like I leaned over to my son and was like, Did she die? And he's like, I don't know. And then all of a sudden she shows up. Apparently she did, and now she's back. Uh, but she's different. You know, that's the Marvel logic. Yeah, I'm sorry, just... I don't have a very... Can- I can't keep the canon straight. Who can keep I felt the straight? same way. I was just like, okay. Right, <laughs> it's okay. Right, exactly. It was probably and not in the Guardians. Was it in a different... Was It, it might have been too? in a totally different movie. It might have been in one of the 10-hour TV shows we haven't had time to watch. I mean, who knows, Tim? This is the problem. I know who knows. Dan Baker. <laughs> Dan Baker knows. <laughs> He read it first 20 years ago in the comics. <laughs> He's like, oh, according to um, Thanos, <laughs> you know, number 17. <laughs> you're like, oh, like, no, like, I'm not like making fun. I'm no, like, right. serious. He's literally reading about Gamora dying as he's playing Dungeons and Dragons when he's 17. Yeah. Exactly. Joel in the Daredevil comic. <laughs> we love you, Dan. See, this is Dan's 90. turn to get roasted. This is what we do. If you're not here, you're fair game. Sorry. Hey, That's man. Just I just am happy that somebody knows something because it's not me. No. Like, I'm not, not going to give you I won't, I don't. I don't even know. I'm like, I don't know what happened, Dad. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know. So I'm thankful that Dan knows. And then Gamora's sister, Nebula, played by Karen Gillan. I don't know. She's, like, been weird because, like, in her in the first movie, she was very, like, well, I want to say robotic, but that's obviously her character. But, like, I don't know, very, like, one note, I want to say. And then somehow in this movie, and again, maybe I'm just completely missing the arc because I don't remember, but somehow she's more friendly and more, like, part of the gang in this one. Okay. Don't remember how that happened, but great she even like smiles really big at the end of this movie and it was actually shocking like i almost fell out of my chair like i don't think i've ever seen her smile and as her character so anyway i don't know she's fine right I, yeah. she had character development because she's no longer bitter because her father's not trying to murder her all the time i guess that's true right sure Thanos hope, is dead so know. she's happier i don't know she's fine but dave batista i think Drax is one of the most important characters in this gang. From the beginning, he's just been the underdog element to this whole thing that actually secretly makes it all work. Like his literal mind, his one-liners. I love Drax. You like Drax, right? Yes. Yes. How could you not like him? Of course. It's so endearing. He can't like make a metaphor. He's trying really hard. (laughs) He came up. He got close. He had a simile. Which I guess is a form of metaphor. So, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, he did good. He's so good. I'm a little worried about him though, because like he's, you know, in interviews, he's all excited that he's not doing gardens anymore and he's going to branch out and other things. And I'm just like, I don't know, bro. He was in the knives out sequel, but like he was okay in that. But I feel like sometimes an actor just connects with a character and that's really like going to be the peak of their career. And I don't know, maybe I'm be totally wrong, but it's going to be hard for him. I think. A little bit. He's got what he has going for him is obviously he's like freaking gigantic. Yeah, he's older, which is not great for that. But he has a good voice, so like mm-hmm. I think that voice acting will always be there for him. That's true. Yeah. Speaking of voice acting, Bradley Cooper, man, I gotta tell you, I think he is so good at his rocket. And what is great about him is that like you know it's Bradley Cooper's voice, but you feel. The entire time from minute one that Rocket is its own character. And it's just like, 
I watched this behind the scenes video that showed a side by side. And if you guys are out there, you should Google this. It showed a side by side of Bradley Cooper doing the voice acting with the actual final footage. It's incredible. Like the amount of work that he put into that voice acting room, right? I mean, he's doing everything that you would do on set with his arms and spit flying out of his mouth. I mean, he's putting his heart and soul into this microphone. He's acting, right? And there's there's no difference in the amount of talent that it takes to do that. And I think he, it's an incredible performance as Rocket. And it's something that I don't think the Academy would ever recognize, but legitimately, it's great. Yeah, I feel like what's so great about it is I can separate Rocket from him. Like, it, like yes. very easily. I'm like, oh, yeah, that is Bradley Cooper. How weird, you know? Mm-hmm. But I don't ever think of when Rocket's talking, I never, I'm like, well, that Bradley Cooper. I'm right. always just thinking, that, hey, they, he, this is Rocket because it's so perfect. Like, he just has, he's, he's got it like the character, the whole character, is, he's got it nailed. Agreed. And it doesn't have any of that Bradley Cooper affectation. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and that's why I was so happy that this movie was all about him because he's always been great. And like, so this was his chance to fly and and he does really good in this. Even Vin Diesel, you know, he's kind of the joke of the series because people are like, dude, you got paid $50 million to say three words in a bunch of different ways, which is... Wait, did they pay him $50 million? $50 million. They just got money to throw around, huh? That's a little bit crazy. But at the same time, to credit Vin, like it's kind of a harder than it sounds acting exercise, right? It's sort of like like if you were in an acting class, you know, like on Barry with like Henry Winkler, if you it would be like one of his acting exercises where he's like, Okay, you know, say I am Groot, like your mother's about to kill you. You know, it's like you got <laughs> <laughs> You, you know and when you see the behind the scenes stuff with him he is like you can tell in his mind that he is like thinking about something specific when he's saying those words so i, I it's still acting we love you vin you're doing great let's talk about the villain let's I talk about the villain played by chikudi awuji probably butchering that sorry bro but his name is the high evolutionary and he is this villain with a god complex he's basically trying to make all of this like the most evolved state of animals and humans so that they can he can create this perfect world that's his goal and he has hurt a lot of people along the way in that evolutionary process i thought he was great I thought he was like one of the best villains I've seen in a long time. I think we've gotten so psychological with our villains that we... So there's sometimes I don't want to know what created a villain. I don't want to get in the backstory. I don't want to hear about their childhood. I just want a villain who's a villain and who does terrible things. And so like this guy's destroying whole worlds, creating whole worlds, you know, Dr. Frankensteining, cutting animals up, sewing them all together with machines. Yeah. He's just a creepy dude. And I like that he's just straight evil and he's not like, uh, yeah, I don't need the psychology. And then they have something that, you know, and then you basically, this guy has to go. Uh, his acting was fantastic. Yeah. Like, never for a second did I like ever struggle with him. He was just straight evil. Like, and, and he just kind of kept that. Yeah. There wasn't, he didn't have to have a reason. It just, it just was. Now, obviously he's trying to make the perfect, this is like a typical villain. He's trying to make a per, he's very Hitlery, right? Mm-hmm. So he's trying to make like a, Oh, I'm going to make this perfect society by basically destroying all the unwanted things and, and creating, you know, a perfect place. Right. Sometimes you got to crack a few eggs slash people. He's cracking a lot of <laughs> eggs. Yeah. But he does it like in a, in a way that he was pretending to be benevolent. Yeah. No, he's great. I liked him too. And yeah, I even liked uh, Peter's line where he's like, I don't need yet another speech. From a psychotic dude when they're in that room or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's, I think Gunn must have picked up on like people are tired of that. Yep. And I was, I was like, no, no, we, I just accept this guy's nuts and I don't need him to talk about it or I don't, and I don't need like a backstory. I'd rather have the raccoon backstory, you know? He was great. I think overall, like, look, the acting is great. Mar- it's typical Marvel acting, right? Like, you know, no one's going to win awards for this, but everyone plays their character exactly how it should be played. You like these people. It works. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yes. I like it. So let's move on to writing and directing. Tim, James Gunn has written and directed all three of these movies. This is his baby, this franchise, and now he's wrapping it up. So let's cut straight to the chase. Do you think that James Gunn wrapped up the series with greatness or did he leave us wanting? Go for it. I think he wrapped it up well. I think we got our Ewok Village teddy bear picnic scene. 
<laughs> That's so funny. I totally didn't make that connection. Yeah. No, I don't know if we wanted it, but we got it. At the end, there is a big dance party, and everyone's very happy. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, you kind of he kind of let us into it because, like, yeah, how can you help it? I mean, you got a lot of mixtapes going. Of course, it's going to be a dance party at the end of this thing. Yeah. I don't know, man. So you you dug it. You thought it was good. At first, I was like, oh, not this. And then I was like, yeah, this. This is the difference between all the other movies is they would never do this. Hmm. Which is you would never have like a happy ending because that's the thing we don't have anymore, right? And this is where I've been talking for the last few podcasts that I've been on, the Tarantino theory, which is like in the 70s, there was never a happy ending for like the whole 70s. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like everything ended like in some kind of moral ambiguity with like a horrible thing happened. And so it was like basically an attack on the tr- whatever the storytelling of the 60s and 50s was, the 70s wiped it out. And they're like, nope, we're always going to have some, we're going to have the bad guy win or the good guy die in the last scene or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. There was never a happy ending in the 70s. And I feel like we're getting to the point where these Marvel movies, it's like there's, it seems like there's never a happy ending. There's never like, everybody's always like psychologically tormented. And I feel like Gunn takes everyone and like makes some hole at the end yeah. like of this movie. Everyone's whole. Like he took them and he's like these tormented people who were miserable and broken and, you know, were struggling. Well, we're going to like bring them some level of wholeness that they hadn't had before, which is so different that it stood out. It was like a very bold move. Hmm. So everybody's stuff that made them like so pissed off and like wanting to go like save the universe. Now they feel at home. They feel like they're in a family. So they don't, so they don't have that same, they don't have that same drive anymore. You can almost feel like Quill is like done. Like he's, he doesn't have drive to go like be a thief anymore. Mm-hmm. He just wants to like have more wholeness and, and more happiness. Well, that's interesting. I didn't think about that, but I feel like we're probably going to be as divided as we were on the second one because like, I just, I was more disappointed than thrilled with this movie. I don't know. Like I just felt, uh, <clears throat> felt like none of the sequels in my mind has been able to capture that original magic that made the first one work so well. I mean, like, you've got all the same elements. Like, there's still the humor, there's still the action, you know, the characters, but, like, just for whatever reason, like, I just feel like the rhythm has been off since the first one, and I just felt like it's sort of the whole thing had a little bit of a been there, done that quality. I didn't think about the happy ending for all their arcs which is unusual and that is nice so there's that i don't know man i'm just i guess i'm just so fatigued uh by you know there's just so much random stuff that just happens it feels like we've done everything you could possibly do that's fresh and interesting so now we're just gonna like put a bunch of ideas in a hat and just sort of draw them out like you know like there's a planet made up of organic jelly material okay you know Gamora was dead but now she's alive but she's different okay I don't know you know what I mean it's just like everything's far-fetched everything's just so yeah far-fetched and it doesn't and novel (laughs) right like this is novel and far-fetched this will make it in the movie like that kind of thing (laughs) that's how it feels like to me yeah so it just was sort of like a here we go again with the Marvel thing is how the whole vibe of the movie felt like to me I mean I loved Rocket's backstory, but was it the right way to do it where you keep going back and forth, back and forth? I don't know. The construction of it. What did you think about that? I think it kind of was because, I mean, I think the idea, if you could, because that's how he thinks, right? So he's, he's always, I mean, he's supposed to be like in a raccoon coma mm-hmm. and he's like dreaming about what happened in the past or whatever. Right. And he's having all these thoughts. But like for us, like it's like his whole character is informed by it. We've never really knew what, why, what made him tick. Everybody else, we kind of know what makes him tick mm-hmm. as far as like what their psychology is. So now we get his and his is like these flashes of misery, but also these, oh, I might get included. I might get included. No, you're not getting included. I might get included. No, you're not getting included. And I think that they captured that and it, the repetitive nature of it, I think was actually good. Versus okay. just having like one flashback or something or doing like in the beginning of the movie, just having the whole thing play out in the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. As a character, he, he'll go, he's going back to it all the time. That's what's like kind of keeping him like a fire in him. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think one thing that might be why the second and third aren't 
resonating with you as much is because they're not different enough. Mean? Like the first one, okay, so we'd been like tortured by these Marvel movies. I know I had to the point where I didn't even want to go to them anymore. Exactly. Right. At the point of the first one, when I don't know when, what is that, 2011 or something? Yeah. I don't We'd know. We'd gone through the entire round, I feel like, of it was Captain America, then it was Thor, and now we're on Iron Man 2, and it was starting to be like, ugh, right? And I think of all those, only Iron Man to me was like the first one, like, kept my attention. Mm-hmm. The rest of them were like, oh, we're going to have to deal with this again. <laughs> You know, and I, I'm like, oh, this is terrible. This is like I put it in the same like categories, monster truck rallies in my head. Monster I, like, oh, I guess some people enjoy that. <laughs> Pretty powerful. I, yeah, I don't either. Yeah, but then when this came along, it was like, whoa! It's like making fun of itself internally. The superhero doesn't talk like, I'll get them. You know, he, he yep. talks, he's a normal person. Right. Yeah, and it's ragtag, and it's like uh, they're not the most powerful universe, and and so like to me that was they're not a millionaire, they're not Bruce Wayne. It's just regular. It was like regular people. It's like a, the ship's like a dorm room, mm-hmm. and I think I that you couldn't you can't like create a climate where you had however many movies before, and then you drop this movie in that you think is going to be like those movies and it's nothing like them from the opening scene in the cave exactly yeah it's so shocking that you can't recreate that you can't recreate it and i also think it's like the curse of the origin story right because like what's exciting so exciting about the first one is that you have these characters coming from totally different realms of the universe totally different backstories they're they're, they don't like each other and then somehow they find a way to work together and that is just an inherently exciting arc and but then once they are together and they're just doing stuff together it doesn't feel as i don't know like you have any hurdles to overcome outside of the typical marvel there's some guy out there i think it's like a seven samurai when you go in right that narrative's everywhere I mean, it really is. It's like a seven samurai and you've got to like defeat some undefeatable enemy and you have to come together whether you want to or not, that kind of thing. Yeah. And and I think that there's something compelling about that, but I don't think the other two movies are, are going to say that way. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I appreciate your perspective on it. Like you've liked the second one and you like this one more than I do. And I'm sure there are many other people out there that do. I just, yeah, I guess I'm just keep looking for something different out of this franchise because I like the first one too much. But I mean, look, it was fine. It was a good time at the movies, right? It really was. I had my popcorn. I had my peanut M&Ms. It's a good movie. It's not a bad movie. I just, I don't know. Didn't feel that magic, but. I mean, I did like that one fight scene where they had the where they like took out all those people in one room and it was like all one take basically. That was really cool. I wish there had been more of that. That was a great fight scene. It's like in a hall it's like in a big hallway basically. Yeah. And you yeah. just take going one by one and then it pivots to this character and that character. That was awesome. I like the opening, Radiohead, you know, gotta throw in your creep. And uh, that was awesome. So I think your first scene, John. <laughs> the first scene. Yeah. And you were just talking about how Rocket feels like he never quite fit in. It's perfect. Right. So you go from Creep, right? And in, and I think that's intentional because that song is so overplayed that you have to select that song just for that first scene, right? <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise, like, if it doesn't have, like, incredible significance, it's kind of a waste because everybody knows it so well. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so that's Rocket. He's a, you know, he's a creep. He's a weirdo. You know. And he's found his fellow weirdos. What the hell is he doing here? And then the dog days are over is the Florence and Machine one at the end. Right. Which I love that song. It's a good song. Love that song. Love Florence and Machine. It's a little weird that they played almost the entire song on both occasions. Like it really was pretty much the entire three to four minute song and the beginning and the end. It's pretty rare. You don't see that in movies most of the time because your screen time is pretty precious. So you're not going to waste on an entire song. I don't know. I thought, I mean, I think it worked okay. Probably creep more than the entire Dog Days song at the end, but yeah. I don't know. I think that Dog Days one's longer than three or four minutes, too. I know. It is. Yeah. But that's the journey, right? So you go from being a weirdo that you have no acceptance, like everyone's better than you, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a, the original context is like, that's, yeah. So that's a woman, right? And it's like this weird codependent Yeah. It's just a freaky song. But then you go into like basically a song that's like a liberation song, right? Yeah. The dog days are over. Like things are going to be better. And yeah. You don't, and this doesn't have to be like this anymore, which I think is kind of like, that's nice to have that narrative to wrap it up. It's very happy. It's what Tarantino would call the Rocky ending <laughs> where nobody expected that Rocky would go the distance, right? And all the Ewoks rejoiced. Right. And he ends the seventies movie drought of the good guy winning. 
I love it. This ends all the dark torment of the Marvel where you get something that's like way syrup at the end. It feels kind of good. But you hate it. <laughs> I didn't hate it. I just didn't love it. It's very middle of the road for me. But I appreciate what you're saying. And it's actually making me reconsider some things. But mm. yes. Anything else you want to talk about before we dive into some themes? Well, I mean, this gets into writing, but it might also be a theme, which would be, I don't know if this is the case or not, but it did seem like there, this has a lot of overlap with like Frankenstein's story. Oh yeah. Right. With his like metal, he's basically half robot, half raccoon. Yeah. Or like a guy who basically is like creating, he's basically bringing things back to life Mm -hmm. or bringing things to life or screwing with the order or modifying life in order to make a better society so that there'd be somebody who's smarter than everyone else who is just basically whimsically fooling with all the world. Mm. And they're, they're trying to have the laws of the universe change just for them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's all this, like, to me, it was like a whole bunch of Frankenstein story. Well, you know, the high evolutionary dude tapped into my like pet theology topic Tim, that Uh-oh. we've been over a million times. You're going to love this. I feel like the main villain is like the perfect representation of the sort of like God figure that you get in some certain theological strands occasionally, right? If you're not careful, right? So you got this guy who's like trying to create this perfect world, the most evolved collection of creatures. But the process to get there, he has to like, you know, involves a lot of suffering for people like Rocket and his friends. And they, but he doesn't have any compassion for these poor creatures that he has made and he's modified and he's, you know, like done whatever. And then he exterminates at random and he doesn't care about them at all. And to me, that sounds a little bit like some people's interpretation of Romans 9 through 11. You know, it's like, doesn't the potter have the right to throw away the clay that he has made? Just a little bit. But doesn't it like to me, it sounds more like Bezos. Yeah. Like as far as like, can, like we might be, and this is what you guys were accusing me of is not seeing enough theology and things. I wasn't, I know I was accusing you of trying to be too accommodating, accommodating to the director's vision, which actually is a good thing. You keep me honest. It's all good. So, but like, I look at it more like people who are effing with like AI mm. than I do, which, you know, keep in mind like AI stuff, Pinocchio tales, right? Mm-hmm. Frankenstein, mm-hmm. Pinocchio, they're all the same story basically. Like this is like somebody who has infinite power that's messing with everyone else. And I think about like Bezos, who has the ability to collect all your data and influence your decisions and use super intelligence to basically control if they want. For the greater good. But it's all being talked about as the greater good wants to colonize the moon. I mean, how different is that than this? Not right. a whole lot. Okay. And it's someone who has no accountability in some ways, who controls mm-hmm. everything and makes a world. I mean, how different is like that, the orgosphere compared to the, or whatever that's called that planet place. Mm-hmm. How different is that than like, you know, Bezos's headquarters. I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> and, and, and there's other leaders too. I'm not saying yeah. there aren't other leaders, but I would say definitely him. No, for sure. And I'm sure that is what James Gunn had in his mind since uh, he's not, you know, reading Romans 9 through 11 often unless he is. But you also see what I'm saying, right? Because like the ultimate version of a Bezos is a God who doesn't, who basically can do whatever he wants to his creations because they're, because he's God and you know what I mean? And I, and you see, I mean, you've had these arguments with people, right? Or maybe not. I don't know. Like maybe it's just me, but like this whole, like whenever you like start to parse out the logic of like, okay, so there's this, you know, hell that lasts forever. And why on earth would a good God, you know, you know, allow people to, you know, just go there and they're like, they're the ultimate argument they come back with is, well, he's God and he's holy and blah, 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 blah. Right. So it's just like when this, when this megalomaniac in this movie is talking about like, basically so condescendingly like i created you i can do whatever i want to you it just really struck me as those same theological arguments i've had with people over the years but. i think there's a strain of theology or people that adhere to certain strains of theology that would really relish if an angry ass god oh yeah whose main priority is like basically bring uh death you know and like bring <laughs> destruction and judgment yeah, I see that. I also think there's like there's another strain which would say like what, would, what to me would be like the response of that, right? So that's the springboard from where you know 
off of that, which would say, well, God is more maybe inert, like maybe more you're a deist. It's like God doesn't do anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? He doesn't participate enough. Yeah, He's yeah. Not, yeah. Or like sets it up and then leaves. In either one of those, I think we're all creating different gods, right? And we're pretending to understand their motivation. But here's my question. If the villain in this movie had had compassion for for Rocket and for his subjects, would it make it any better? Like, let's say all these people have to suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer and die, and he felt bad about it. Does that actually make it better? Because I don't think it does. You're saying if he felt bad ab- about basically... Oh, he made a bad batch and now he's got to murder them all and he'd right. feel bad about that? Sort of like, because that's because I think that's the more compassionate view of like that theological strain. But to me, it doesn't feel any better. It's like, well, so God, God had to wipe out everyone in the flood and he feels real bad about it. But like to me, that doesn't, doesn't actually make it better. Hell is a closed door locked on the inside or something. It's so like, what well, I'm hearing is you want agency without con- with no consequence to the agency? Because like the other option would be like people could be living their Sodom and Gomorrah lifestyle, right? Whatever that looks right. like. So like let's say we practice some unethical thing, we have the choice to do that, and we choose to do it over and over again and we and so it's like, well, there's some agency there, right? Because you have the choice to do it. But is there a consequence for that agency? Like I'm not saying like a eternal damnation consequence, but is there a consequence for the that kind of agency? Absolutely, which I would affirm. Yeah, I think yeah. there are consequences built into the actions, and like we've talked about before, I think that those consequences last possibly in beyond this life. Like I guess my whole thing is that like when we start talking about terrible, unimaginable things like a place like hell that would exist where people suffer forever, millions and billions and trillions of years, to call a God that creates something like that in any way good, no matter how you spin it, no matter how bad he feels or whatever, to me is impossible to reconcile. Impossible. I think that's interesting. It's very difficult to when we are struggled to paint a picture of God to paint a picture of hell. Like we all seem to have a very clear picture of hell, right? Yeah. <laughs> or like some people do. Heads, right. <laughs> that wasn't nurtured in my tradition. It's like have a real, real clear picture you of hell. You're so lucky, Tim. I'm jealous. I, know, I am. I am. Like if I had a clearer picture of this, you know, a lot of it's this man-made or this Dante kind of situation. Right. Well, that's it. And I think that's why it's always a pet project for me is that like I grew up, you know, sitting in church watching play those, you know, scary plays being done where like right. people like wake up after the plane crash and then the person is like, you made the wrong decision. And they're literally taking out of the church building, screaming, going to hell forever. Like I'm <laughs> seven. Yeah. I mean, you know, like it's right. really Some, messed up. Summer has told me about some of those type things you know, that she was exposed to. And like, I didn't, I just didn't grow up in that. Uh, I, yeah. I don't like, so that, that in itself is some kind of like trauma because you're basically, you're trying to use fear yes. in order to influence somebody's choices. So choose this or you'll go to hell like, forever. That's, that's, it's not even death. And, and that doesn't sound like Christ very much. No, it doesn't. And that's why I'm so passionate about it is because like, I know God's love. I know that God is love and I have, tasted it and I've seen it and I want people to my friends and my family to see it too and I feel like we as Christians have done such a terrible job of putting so many weird roadblocks in the way of love of God's love by adding all these things like you said Dante and Greek philosophy and just like inserting them into these texts and I think what you see in the movie is this like you know I do think that there are uh, certain strands that have built up a God like we see in the movie but what you then see is you see Rocket have the opportunity to kill this terrible evil person and he doesn't he chooses to set aside vengeance and chooses to have compassion even on his greatest enemy and that's the christ angle that you see that's the christ love that we know so well and that's what i want to get across to the world and why i get so frustrated when this other message this doom and gloom and fear message gets such a a center stage yeah and and i would just kind of Jesus does talk about hell a lot in the Gospels, but it would almost always be in reference to the religious leaders of the day and mm-hmm. almost always in reference to excluding people from the kingdom. Exactly. 
and so looking at it that way, I mean, cause you could, you could like say, well, Jesus talks so much about hell, uh, talks about hell more than anything else, hell and money, right? People have said that. Yeah. And you could go that route, but without a context, you don't see like, well, what is he, what's he actually talking about? Then that's just a, that's a half of an idea, not a whole idea. So as we're looking at, I think compassion is key. Like you want to include people who weren't included. Yes. You want to have compassion on people uh, who no one is showing compassion to. So like, and this is like one of the themes of the movie, which is what does it mean to be a higher being? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I thought we're only releasing the higher beings. Like who deserves to live? I mean, that's the question, right? Right. Yeah. So, you know, Rocket goes to this thing and he, where he, he's like, everyone <laughs> like yep. like that's like his so i think that's a theme which is the idea and, and you get it with drax without the drax character it doesn't the audience can't connect to that idea it's just like oh it's just some kind of weird animal liberation sarah mclaughlin thing no it's not <laughs> because drax is not as intelligent as the other he's not as intelligent but he in some ways is more emotionally aware Mm-hmm. than some of the other he knows who he is he's not afraid of it he knows what his role is he's a loving guy right and he's full yeah. of love and he that's cares why we him. love him yeah but he's not gonna like he's not gonna create a metaphor for you or do your trigonometry homework okay it's just not gonna happen is he worth something mm. is he a higher being or is he just like junk or there might be a golden retriever who saves the day, <laughs> right? Yeah. So is the life of the golden retriever worth something? And it's not about animals. It's about, I think it's about human beings. I think the whole thing is at every point we're questioning who should live and who should die and who should, and this gets into some, maybe some of your theology, but what being is worth basically stomping out like a cigarette butt and which one is worth lifting up. Yes. And I feel like this would say, no, there's worth to every single creature. Yes. That's oh, very Tim, biblical. preach it. Yeah. That's the sermon. <laughs> exactly. That's everything I've always been trying to say when I stumble through um, my theology is that all of us matter. All of God's creation matters. He cares about all of us. He loves us first before we make some decision. I know that. I've felt it since I was a little boy. And so, yeah. And I want other people to know that too. That's beautiful. Love it. Yeah. I like it how he has to go through trauma of this false system in order to like liberate. So he's like the victim of the system and he has also become the liberator of it. But isn't always like that. It's like you have to die and death and resurrection is built into the everything. And it's like, I look at the seasons of my life that were the hardest and I will never trade the lessons I learned for anything. You just, you have to, that's the only way. And then the, the idea that where he got to the point where he could even do any of this was he had to have a community that affirmed him, cared about him, and that would be called a family. They call each other family all the time. Yeah. Warts and all. So like he might be like really grumpy and like have so much trauma and be like hard to be around sometimes, but he's found a place where he's loved no matter what. And then out of that, he can become a liberator, not, you know, not find his worth in being a liberator, but out of it, out of a place of being accepted and cared for, he can become a force of liberation, which I think is kind of neat. That's so beautiful. I think it's very hopeful. And think about the first one. When we first meet Rocket, when he first starts joining the team, he's just like angry. He hates everyone there. They hate him back. And think how far we've come over the course of the three movies that these these people would do anything for him. And that changes him. And he then liberates others. It's yeah. And he and I know I'm not supposed to see Christ figures everywhere, but he does get resurrected in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Like, I mean, but so does everyone in the universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but, uh, but like he goes through this like where he dies and he comes back, then he liberates. Mm. Which I'm like, wow, that's pretty freaking gospel there. Weird, you know. I don't know. It makes me wonder about these guys who are making this movie. It makes me wonder about Gun. Gun. Yeah. I love it. Tim, all right, it's time to wrap this train up. What are your final thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and your letter grade? Go for it. I think it's a B. I'll give you letter grade first because I don't think it's revolutionary. It's not new. I think it's more entertaining than your average Marvel movie. I'd much rather see this flick than probably any other thing that came out Marvel this year or last year, even in the past few years. So I thought that's great. If you like the Guardians you may not like this one because it's very different than the other Guardians. But I think maybe that Gunn did that on purpose because he wants to kind of have it indifferently than most of these Marvel movies. 
and end it in a way that has joy and hope. So I liked it. I give it only a B because it's not, it's a, th- I mean, what movie, the third movie it's going to is is like yeah like what, what it's amazing we're even reviewing it to be honest yeah i mean we struggled a little bit with this because reviewing part 3 of anything can be a big mistake so i i thought it was a b i think it's it was it's still fun like they're always going to be fun it'd be it, yes. it'll be fun now because you can watch all 3 of them now spend a day watching them all there you go i'll start with my letter grade too i'm going to give it a b minus i think that it is a good movie you know, if you like these characters, you're going to have a fun time. Everyone in the theater did. I laughed out loud several times, so I don't mean to be so cynical about it. I guess I was hoping for more of a some sort of unique, like, triumphant return to the magic of the original. But it's also possible that it just cannot happen because the elements that made it so good just can't be re- replicated. So, uh, yeah, I'll give it a B-. I think it could have been better, but it's also fine. And I appreciate what Tim is saying because, you know what? We need more happy endings, man. We just do. So good job, Gunn. Like, thank you for letting us dance at the end of this thing. And we need more of that. It's all right. All right, there you have it. That is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It is playing in a theater near you and will be for quite some time. So why don't you go watch it in a theater and... Maybe you're listening to this and you have your own opinion about this movie. We would love for you to share it with us. Please write in a few thoughts to podcast at cinemafaith.com. Podcast at cinemafaith.com. We'll read your thoughts on the air. We'll talk about them, interact with them. We would love to hear from you. So please reach out. And Tim, after all my Marvel ranting... I'm actually tempted to have us review another Marvel movie next month because (sighs) the sequel to... Enter the Spider Verse is coming out. Did you? Do your kids like this movie? The the cartoon. I know what version? you're doing, John. <laughs> I know. I know. My kids love this movie. The first uh, one. I saw the first one. My kids liked it. I mean, it's animated Spider Man. Every kid likes that. I mean, it's like I, basically say <laughs> it looks like a graphic novel and it like breaks all the rules, right? It does. Yeah, and it's really clever. But I don't want to do any more sequels, man. I like, know. That's my that's my honest opinion. Like I'm getting. I, I think that we should do some more original stuff. We'll try. We'll, we'll we'll talk about it, and we'll come back with something. I hear well, you. Was, I get what, what you're saying. What have we done last? Like, what's our last few movies we've done? I mean, they were all Oscar movies, so yeah. Oh, yeah. It's tough. The problem is the summer is the time for sequels, right? And then you get to July, and you've got the new Mission Impossible movie, which I actually really want to see as well, because I love that franchise, and they've all been killer movies, so God, I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to it's figure hard. it out. It's hard to want to like review franchise movies, man. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Know. I know. It gets old because you've already said it all, right? Exactly. Well, I think so. And they have their viewership, right? So like, they're not like a startup. Mm-hmm. So like, you know that if somebody loved Rocky 1, they're going to go to Rocky 2. And if they liked <laughs> yeah. Rocky 1, they might go to Rocky 3 even if they hated 2. There's a reason why the studios do it this way. Mm-hmm. Is that they know that I'm going to go see the the Star Wars film, even if I like loathe myself and have to take a shower afterwards. <laughs> they I know hate it. myself the entire time. Yeah, girl, I hate myself for loving this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk about it, and we'll come back with something. So, yeah, that is one reason to look forward to the next month. What movie will we choose? But also another reason to look forward to next month is that we will have seen by the time you listen to our voices again, Cocaine Bear, and in. <laughs> I love how we've made this an event. Mm. And we in the What Have We Been Watching segment next podcast, Tim and I will do a mini review of Cocaine Bear for your listening pleasure. That is going to happen. That's a treat yes. for you, Don't watch. Listeners. You should watch it now, and then you yeah. can know what's going on. Exactly. Watch it's it and listen for that. Or you can rent it. Because yeah. we don't have the guts to do an entire podcast on it. But we will fit it in to that one segment. It's going to be beautiful. So we will be back next month. Until then... Keep the faith, my friends. We will see you next time.